0: If you brought a copy of scripture with you this morning, you can find John chapter 14. John chapter 14 as we continue in our series, Theology on Fire. And today, we're talking about the Holy Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit of God was certainly filling our brother, Kurt DeGraff, last week, was he not? In fact, we had somebody come to somebody else on staff here recently and say, uh, Is Pastor Kurt dying? I thought to myself, that's a great compliment because I thought of a Puritan who once said, I, I preach as a dying man to dying men. And that's the way every sermon should be. That one certainly was, filled with the Spirit of God. And what does it look like to be filled with the Spirit of God? What, have you ever met somebody who's on fire for God? And how would you describe them? John chapter 14, beginning in verse 15, we have Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you let will slide down to verse 25. He says, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give you. Did you know that the world gives peace? It's a pseudo peace, but it is a peace nevertheless. Says not as the world does, if, and then he goes on and says, "My peace I live you, I leave you. Let the, uh, let them not be afraid. Don't let your hearts be troubled or be afraid." So, what does it look like for somebody to be on fire for God? It's kind of hard to describe, isn't it? I mean, you can talk about emotions and things like this. It reminded me a little bit of growing up. I I, I grew up in a, a lower middle income home, and. Um, so I'd never seen the ocean. None of my friends had ever seen the ocean. Never saw it until I went on my, my first honeymoon. That always sounds a little strange when a preacher tells you it was his first honeymoon. But uh, at any rate, uh, it was, you know, what if I, when I went to Florida, I saw the ocean so captivated by its awesomeness and its power. What if in order to impress my friends, I'd have brought an empty jar with me and just filled it up with ocean and brought it home? That would be a little bit what it's like to try to describe what it means to be filled with the life of God, the spirit of God, the fire of God. And after 40 years of knowing God, I still feel a little bit like that 20-year-old who went on his honeymoon trying to describe to you the things the scripture speaks of when someone is possessed by the life of God, the spirit of God. And the person Who sets God's people on fire is the Spirit of God. He's symbolized in Scripture variously by a, a, as a dove, as wind, as oil, as clothing, as a seal, and as fire. Indeed, in the book of Acts, when the church begins, uh, there is this sight, this rushing wind comes in and then the Spirit of God appears as a fire over the heads of those who have been indwelt by the Spirit of God. The Apostle Paul said to his, his convert and his disciple Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. He is a fire. It is after all. The 4th of July week. I would say to you that God's people should be spiritual pyromaniacs. Except that instead of starting fires outside of ourselves, which is what a pyromaniac does, we should be stoking the fire inside ourselves. So who is the Holy Spirit? And how can you experience his fire? That's the question before us this morning. Well, he is God and he possesses all of the attributes of God. And we see this a number of times, but here's one of the clearest references where he's actually called God uh, at the beginning of the church when uh, the church is giving all of these things. Barnabas is giving a bunch of stuff and and a couple by the name of Ananias and Sapphira, uh, they, they think this is cool. So they give a part of what They uh, what they sold, but they make it look as if they've given it all. The fact the Greek uses the word embezzled, they they kept back some of it. And God, the Holy Spirit, allows Peter to see this, and he says, "Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land, which when it remained unsold?" Did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why have you contrived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to man, but what? To God. Right there, the spirit of God is called God. And we don't have time to lay out an entire uh, study of the deity of the Holy Spirit, let's just, let's just consider the omnis, the, the three big omnis. We, he is omnipotent, so right out of the chute. As the Bible kicks off, you have in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form, void, darkness was over the face of the deep, and look at this, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, if you have an ESV study Bible it has a good little line there referring to that phrase hovering it says it creates a sense of expectation something is about to happen you think about everything is everything is about to be created or it's in the process of so being and only God can create hence the spirit of God is God and he is omnipotent he's also omnipresent we shared this last week from Psalm 139, you know, where, where he says, where shall I go from your spirit? Where, where can I flee from your presence? If I, go, if I go to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, you're there. If I, if I could take the wings of the morning, which is a figure of speech for riding the rays of the sun. In other words, David was saying, if I could travel at the speed of light, that's what he's saying here. If I could do that and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, if I could go at the speed of light, from one end to another, bang, you're there. Why? Because God, the Holy Spirit is omnipresent. He's God. He has all those attributes. And every time I read this passage, I, I'm remembering the VBS we did in a little, our little country church I pastored many years ago. We just had our VBS, you know, like a thousand kids. It wasn't that many, but we had a lot of kids. At this particular VBS, I think we had 15 visitors. But that was good because we only had about three kids of our own. And uh, so uh, they're all up there, it was, a, it was the final night, they were going to sing, and we didn't have many kids, but every family representing those 15 kids were there, so it was a big night for us, you know, and, uh, and my, my three-year-old wanted to be in the group singing, and he wasn't old enough to be in the group, but I said, you can do it, but you, you need to behave yourself up there and stay up there the whole time they sing. Okay, Dad. Well, after about two songs, he got tired of singing, and he started playing Army Man, he crawled down the steps and everybody, start, they started laughing. He heard it, crawled back up the steps. And now they're laughing even more, crawled back down again. And everybody's just laughing, they're in stitches. Afterwards, we're done singing. He's walking down the aisle like this and I was down, I was spitting nails on the other side. He's walking down there. I, I grabbed him and pulled him outside. It was just him, me and the corn outside. And I let him have it. I said, you were so disappointed in me. You disobeyed me in front of everybody. A bad testimony for Jesus. And I gave him a spanking right there in the spot. And while I was administering the spanking, I looked up and through the foyer was a deacon running right at me. And I, I opened the door. I said, what do you need? He goes, pastor, <sighs> your microphone is on. The funny thing about it is on the way there, I said to my wife, I've got this great little devotional to give at the end. It's all about the power, and I'm I'm the presence of God. I just need something to cinch it up. Well, God gave that to me. So the Spirit of God is omnipresent, and he's omniscient. I love this. You've got to look at this verse. It's in... 1 Corinthians chapter two, we'll put it up there for you. It says, it's talking about the Holy Spirit. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God for who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person, which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Have you ever read that? I was talking to a friend just the other day about all the conundrums, the theological conundrums, the, the theodicies, the things about God. We, why do you do this, God? Why don't you do this, God? Why don't you put the smack down on him? Why aren't you doing this? We wonder what God is doing. We, ne- we wonder about his thoughts. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways not your ways. Remember, we said at the onset of this series on theology, we quoted Psalm 50, verse 21, where God says to man, he says, you thought I was exactly like you. Remember that? That's half our problem. We think God's just like us. But if God said that to the Holy Spirit, if God the Father said that to the Holy Spirit, he'd say, I am just like you. And while we might get the mind of God wrong, the Spirit of God never does. He is God He's omniscient. Secondly, he's a person. We won't take long on this, but he's a person possessing all of the attributes of personality. This is a big deal because so many people like Jehovah's Witnesses get it wrong. They think he's a force. They don't think he's personality. And I love um, I love the humility of these eight, Lead pastors in our engaged churches. One of them, our third uh, pastor in the engaged network, was Greg Pollock, who came to Christ right here in this right here in this church, and he was preaching one of his first sermons right here in this church, preaching on the Holy Spirit, and he just really buggered up the whole personality of the Holy Spirit in his message. And so this last week I sent, I shot this message out to all the engaged leaders. I said, I'm preaching on the Holy Spirit. Give me your best quote on the Holy Spirit. And they're coming left and right with these quotes about the Holy Spirit. And here's Greg's quote. I got nothing. I once called him an it and I haven't been the same since. (laughs) Oh, that's good. So very quickly... Very quickly, he is personality. We just saw this in Acts chapter five where, where, um, where Peter said to Ananias, you've lied to God. You, you can't lie to a force, but you can lie to a personality, right? And then in Ephesians chapter four, better known, that's where he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you've been sealed under the day of redemption. You can only make a personality feel grief, regret, sorrow, That makes him a person. And this is probably the most obscure passage. and One of my favorites is Romans 15 verse 30 where we're told the Holy Spirit loves you. Did you know that? Have you ever thought of that? Because he's God, he possesses all of the attributes of God and he's a person. So just as the Father loves you, just as the Son loves you, so the Spirit loves you. He's a personality possessing all the attributes of such Thirdly, he permanently dwells in all believers. This is really important because this is the big differentiation between the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and the New, is the Spirit of God and what he does in the new creation. We don't live under the law anymore, right? But by grace, we're thankful for the law because it drives men to the cross, shows them their sin, but it can do nothing to save you. And the Spirit of God would in the old testament would come upon people powerfully but temporarily. So a great case study would be Saul. Here is Samuel who who is prophesying what's going to happen to Saul. He says this in first Samuel ten and verse six. The Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, Samuel said, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. And that's exactly what happened. Look in chapter 11 and verse six. And the spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these things. So you see that powerful coming on the spirit of God would do. But if you know anything about the life of Saul, it's not a life to emulate, right? Jealous, angry, wanting revenge. And we're told in chapter 16, in the midst of all that, now the spirit of the Lord did what? He did exactly what he never does today. He doesn't leave the person he comes and redeems. He, he comes and we are sealed to the day of redemption. He permanently <laughs> indwells us, amen? Amen. So back to chapter 14 and verse uh, verse 16, that is John 14. I want you to look at this again. I've underlined it for you. Jesus said, I'll ask the Father. He'll give you another. By the way, the word another helper, this is really cool. That word another is the Greek word Allah. There are two ways to say another. One is the word heteros. That means another of a completely different kind. And then there's the word alas. That's the word. It means another of the exact same kind. How cool is that? So somebody just like me, Jesus is saying, to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth in the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he dwells with you and will be in you. There's the differentiation and the spirit of God's work in believers' lives in the Old Testament. With, upon, in power in the Old Testament, but temporarily in the New Testament. And aren't you glad he comes to indwell you forever? And contrary to the, our charismatic friends, and this is not meant for you to use you know, as a weapon, but there is no separate baptism of the Holy Spirit. Everybody who places their faith in Jesus is baptized into the Holy Spirit. How do I know that? I know it because of this haymaker right here. First Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. And this is the Corinthians he's writing to here, okay? Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Everyone who places their faith in Jesus has the spirit of God living in them. Doesn't mean that the spirit of God is controlling your life, but he's absolutely in your life and praise God forever. Fourthly, he's a helper who gifts us to do God's will. Again, back to John chapter 14. And and by the way, in verse 16, we're told that the Spirit of God himself is a gift. He, He himself is a gift to us. And we saw verses 14 through 27. We put it up there again for you. But just to let you know, the Spirit of God, when he moves in, he doesn't move in as a freeloader. He moves in as a, what's the word? Helper. Now, let me just touch on some really bad thinking, and I know that some of you have it, so listen up, because I've heard it from you. It, it attempts to come off as humble, but in reality, it's, it's, it's excusatory. It's, it's like this, uh, you know, hey, way to go, brother. Way to, way to tackle that situation for the Lord. Oh, man, it was all of God. I had nothing to do with it. That's a lie, That isn't even true. That doesn't even make sense. Now, if by that you mean I want to give all the glory to God, I'm with you on that, okay? But I couldn't disagree more with the idea that I I didn't put forth any effort. This is all of God. It just sounds so noble and blech. But Paul said to the Philippians, it is God who is at work in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Have you ever read that? So if I ask you to help me, what do I mean? Come and do all the work. Is that what I mean? No, not unless I'm some deadbeat. And that's half the problem. Some of you are just spiritual deadbeats. You just want God to do everything. You don't wanna lift a finger for God. You gotta stop thinking like that. The Holy Spirit comes in, he indwells you. He is your helper. He's the infuser. He's the one who gives you the strength. He does give glory to God. But this means you're working alongside of him. So the word helper is the, is the word parakletos. Para means Alongside and and kaleo means to, to 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 help. It literally means one who comes alongside to help. The root word carries the idea of advising and exhorting and confronting and strengthening and giving peace. And we know from other passages. We're not going to take the time here. We'll do it another time. Is he gives gifts. That's how he mostly helps us. He gives us, he dispenses sovereignly, 1 Corinthians 12, gifts. Everyone who knows Jesus is gifted in some way to serve Jesus and you should be serving him. And those gifts are listed in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4. When we submit, listen to this, when we submit, listen, when we submit To his control, he fills us. And when that happens, you can expect the living God to pull off some really cool stuff in your life. But you have to believe that. You will experience that. Sadly, as Adam Ramsey says in his book Truth on Fire, one of the great tragedies of this present generation of Christians has been the divorce between the theological and, the experience, and experiential Christianity. So the charismatic movement, which I just took a little shot at earlier, I mean, many of these individuals are brothers and sisters in Christ, but they've hijacked the whole doctrine of the Holy Spirit and his work in our lives, we become very sterile in what we believe about him. So if you will indulge me, here are just a few experiences, 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 emphasis on the word, I have had with the Holy Spirit. And the idea here is not to take what I'm about to say and say, oh, I'm gonna have this now. I mean, he is sovereign. He can do whatever he wants, amen? But here are a couple of things. The Holy Spirit often leads me specifically Through his word. I mean, just last week was the 25th anniversary of my time here as a pastor. And 25 years ago, I was, I'd burned every bridge to every other church there, I'd just gotten married. My wife, I'd taken her away from her family. i took her away from her church. I took her away from her acreage. I took her away from her friends. And that was just a half hour from me. And she she was hardly connecting with them anymore. I could not conceive the idea of leaving again and going to another church. So when Sailorville came to me, I said no. I said thank you, but no thank you, can't do it. But then over the next nine months, God was working me over. I couldn't explain it. I, I, he just began to give me this burden for something other than the church I was pastoring. And I loved that church. I couldn't explain it. I got to a place where I just said, God, you have got to show me what to do because I sensed that you're, you're telling me to leave. And I was in my Bible reading. I was in, I was in Acts chapter 16. I can remember thinking, Acts 16, really God? I mean, it's the Philippian jailer. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, you and your house. I know this passage. There's nothing here I'm gonna see that I, that I don't know what an arrogant thought that was. But I was reading in there and I came to verse 36 where it says, the magistrates have called for your departure. Now leave and go in peace. And I walked upstairs, walked into the bedroom where my wife was and I said, honey, I believe God just called us to leave. And she looked at me, that spiritual woman, and she said, well, he hasn't said that to me yet. (laughs) So we had some work to do. We had to work through a few things here. But we did, and we're here. Not one major decision, not one major decision in my life have I ever made apart from this book, ever. And the Spirit of God has done the leading. And not just the major decisions, but the little decisions. This is why I love my, speaking of my wife, I love, she'll be in her Bible and she'll just, she'll just sense she should call somebody, write a note, visit someone. She's often and going. And I think to myself, I wanna be like that. Francis Chan in his book on the forgotten God writes, it's much less demanding to think about God's will for your future than it is to ask Him what He wants you to do in the next 10 minutes. I've experienced the Holy Spirit speaking to me most clearly in my darkest hours. And by the way, don't get hung up on the word speaking or spoken here, I have it up there for you. Okay, I mean, I mean, I agree with Sam Polson who said, when the Spirit speaks to you, it's not audible, it's much louder. I know this. Just a couple of times, I remember, I mean, after my wife died and I had a hard time just going up into our bedroom, I laid on the couch, the kids would be in bed, I married, the first several weeks I'd sort of weep myself to sleep. I remember one day laying on on the couch and I was weeping and I remember literally saying, I literally sat up and I said, Numbers, get a hold of yourself. And I seriously sensed the Lord saying to me, I know you're a mess. But I haven't gone anywhere. And I can't tell you what peace that gave me. And then, as many of you have heard that when my sons were off the chain and my youngest was all but arrested, everything was hanging in the balance for me and pleading with God one night that He would get a hold of my son. I sensed Psalm 63 3, your loving kindness is better than life itself. Therefore, my lips will praise you. And I sensed the spirit of God speak to me and say, you're not trusting me. And I argued with him. I do trust you, Lord. And I sensed him saying, no, you don't. You tell everybody else to trust me, but you're not trusting me. Will you trust me? Will you honor me? More than the soul of your son. And that broke me. But that was God speaking to me. He revealed to me that I had an idol I didn't even see and it changed my life. The Holy Spirit I've experienced has often interrupted me in the midst of normal living. One day sharing Christ with somebody in, in their home and I our church had doubled in size by now. We were running like 50. And uh, And I was telling about our men's ministry, our women's ministry, our choir, we were doing this, I could seriously, right while I'm looking around right at him, I sense God say, what are you doing? What are you doing, members? When you first came to this little church, all you had was Jesus to talk about. We like that better. Get back to Jesus. That literally, I sensed that while I was, while I was about ready to jump into another thing our church was doing now. Another time I was golfing with a guy, I've been sharing Christ with him, and for some reason, he wasn't interested, but I still was sharing Jesus with him, right? I, I, I mean, it was partly a miracle. I had my ball in the middle of the fairway. That was a miracle in and of itself. <laughs> he was off in the rough, and I, I mean, it's, I can remember this like it was yesterday. Beautiful day, no breeze, no wind. He's underneath, getting ready to hit the ball. He's underneath a tree. I looked up, and I said, that branch is getting ready to break. You better walk away. He went like this. He looked up, took about three steps over, snap, it fell down. I can't explain that to you to this day, other than the spirit of God's work in my life. One day, I went home for lunch and I never, ever went home for lunch. Our house was three miles north, went home for lunch and I never, ever picked up the mail. My wife always picked up the mail, but now that I'm going home for lunch, the mailman had arrived a few minutes earlier, so I thought I'll get the mail. I opened the mail, pulled it out, and there was a letter in there to my daughter. Uh, from another from another girl that had just been coming to our church for a little while. It had little sticky notes on it and little, all this stuff inside. Everything looked so flowery and cool. And as soon as I, I kid you not, as soon as I touched that letter, I was literally overwhelmed with evil. And I couldn't explain it. I sat in my car. I just, I didn't know, any, this girl had given me no indication otherwise. But I sensed, I'm not showing this to my daughter. I opened up the letter Just beautiful, little girly letter. And it was the most vile, vulgar, disgusting, accusatory, mean-spirited thing I'd ever, ever, I couldn't imagine another 14-year-old could write this kind of vulgarity. And she cloaked it in all of this. My daughter would have gotten that letter, but the spirit of God stopped me from giving it to her. The Holy Spirit has helped me see things that others are hiding. So one day, just a couple of years ago, I was at lunch with another pastor in our church, and we were with a guy. His wife had accused him of adultery. And he said, I'm not committing adultery. I just, I just you know, I have this affection, and it's just an emotional thing. It's nothing more than that. And so while we were talking, the other pastor was pleading with, giving him some biblical counsel, good, good, solid counsel. And I can't explain it. To, I, I literally put my hand on that other pastor and I said, Wait, "Hold on, just a minute." I said, "Are you sleeping with that woman?" And he looked at us, hung his head, lifted it up, and admitted he'd been living in adultery. The Holy Spirit can do whatever He wants. Amen. And I don't say this to you so that you will respond by saying, oh, I got to do this. No, my desire in sharing these experiences with you is that you might say, I want this. I want this sense of God in my life. I want this experience. So back to my points. The fifth point is the Holy Spirit of God makes Jesus irresistible to others. How does he do that? He does it by setting God's people on fire. Again, back in the little church I pastored, I was in Clarion, Iowa, and the big stuff to do in Clarion was to burn down houses. So you get a condemned house, and they'd always do it at night, so it was really dark, and they'd torch that thing, the whole city'd show up. Listen, the Holy Spirit is a fire that will draw people and make Jesus irresistible. Don't get drunk with wine, which is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit of God and be set on fire. The Holy Spirit is God's demonstration in this world of joy and his power. And that's, I mean, when I I picked on my wife a little bit earlier, but I'm telling you, that woman exudes joy. And she exudes joy in such a way, I go to the gym exactly one time a week with her, and every time I get done, there's a, bunch of women gathering around her. Most of them don't even know Jesus, but they want to be by her. The only way I can explain that is that she lives a life that makes Jesus irresistible. Are you? He does it. He makes Jesus, irresistible by turning our bodies into temples. Don't you know, those of you who know Jesus, that your body is the temple of the Spirit of God who is in you. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. So glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. I mean, these fireworks tents, they're everywhere. You are the firework tent Make Jesus irresistible with your life. And then, of course, if you scoot over to chapter 16, Jesus tells us that one of his primary things he does is point out man's sin, God's righteousness, and as Pastor Kurt preached last week, coming wrath, judgment. Chapter 16 and verse seven, where where Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. If I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. And when he comes, he'll convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And then he interprets himself. He does the exegesis concerning sin because they don't believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to my father. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged judgment the spirit of god convicts of sin god's righteousness coming wrath just the other day I was with a group of guys most of which I've had the joy of leading to Christ over the last few years have a great time digging into the word together they brought a friend their friend has been coming to church here he's been taking it all in and he said I'm all in I said you are sitting right across the table to me I said we said, well, explain to us what the gospel is. He began to say, well, it's the it's the Bible and it's coming to church and this and that. And one of the other guys said, I'm gonna stop you right there. It was my favorite moment. And he began to clearly lay out the gospel that Christ died for his sins, that he was buried, that he rose again, that he needed to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that man, the group of guys, made Jesus irresistible to him. And he trusted Christ right there. And he's sitting right over here, praise the Lord. Amen, amen, Shane. Jesus said back in chapter 15, verse 26, but when the helper comes, whom I send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he'll bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. Irresistible, that's what he does. He makes Jesus irresistible. Finally, he hunts down and rescues those facing damnation. He hunts down and rescues those who are facing damnation. And some of you are facing it right now. Francis Thompson, over 100 years ago, was a poet. He wrote the famous poem, The Hound of Heaven. There's 182 lines, don't try to memorize it. But it depicts a man himself running from God while acknowledging he couldn't run from God. Jesus said, no one comes, no one's gonna come to me unless the Father draws him and he draws him by way of the Spirit of God. And I know this hounding. I know this hounding. Two incidences that occurred before I became a Christian at John Deere, none of you have heard the first one. I was... It was during shutdown. I was just a couple of weeks away from being saved. I was under massive conviction. During shutdown, we're not doing any production. A bunch of, about 20 of us went to the local park. We busted open a bunch of beer, we got drunk, we smoked a lot of weed, and we went back into work. As we walked back into work, one of the guys climbed up on one of these portable ladders in front of all of us, and he went, Every synergy to repent and believe in Jesus are all going to hell. And I'd been laughing all along until that moment. Because when he did that, I thought, he's saying exactly what I'm coming to believe and making a mockery of it. And two weeks later, I was shipped off to the foundry and worked with a guy who had been asking God all week, God, bring somebody to me who's interested in Jesus. And he got me. God, the Holy Spirit, was pursuing me. And I wasn't even aware of it. I was talking with my son the other day. He was closing things up at the Vacation Bible School at Lakeside and he was gonna tell this story because he had to get it from me because he was only two when it happened so he has no memory. His mother died and there was just myself and the seven kids and we went to a Hardee's one day. And uh, it was after church. We lived nine miles away after we packed up all the kids and drove back home, got to the acreage. I got, Literally, I got out of the front car, car, opened the back, right there is where John, my two-year-old was and he wasn't there. Josh, who was right next to him, I said, where's John? Josh looked at me and goes, I don't know. I said, you've got to be kidding me. We left him there? Suddenly I was on a rescue mission. I flew, I think faster than the speed limit. The nine miles back, I got all the way into the hardest. And there he was playing in the ball pit, completely unaware that he was all by himself. And that's where some of you are right now. You're playing around with life. You're completely unaware that you're all by yourself. That's a bad place to be when you die. You better place your faith in Jesus. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will no longer be lost. The spirit of God will convict you. Maybe he's doing it right now. You'll repent and believe that Jesus died for you. Receive him as your savior. And the bonus, you get God the Holy Spirit to come and live in you. Pretty good deal, huh? Would you take it? Let's pray. Our Father, Our time is quickly coming to a close but we wanna celebrate the Lord's table and as we do, I pray right now that as your people make their way to these powerful symbols, they would do so asking themselves the question, am I on fire for you, oh God? And if you're not, dear friend, that knows Jesus, repent. Ask God to help you to pursue him, to know him, and to experience him in the power of his Holy Spirit while you're thanking him for making his salvation receivable through his son, Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, repent and place your faith in him today. God, we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. At the very beginning of, I asked the question, how do you know if somebody's on fire for God? How do you you know if somebody's on fire? How do you know if you're on fire for God? If you're on fire for God, I just want to close with these thoughts. You'll want to stay near the flame of God. You do that by your time in his word, listening to him and in prayer. That's staying near the flame of God. If you're on fire for God, you'll do what fire does. Naturally, it spreads. You'll spread that fire. If you're on fire for God, you'll draw others by the warmth that you exude. And if you're on fire for God, you'll eventually flame out. It was never about you to begin with anyway, right? The great missionary, speaking of missionaries, Amy Carmichael, she too is a poet. She wrote a great collection called If, but she wrote another little poem that said, it was a prayer. She said, give me the love that leads the way, the faith that nothing can dismay. The hope, no disappointments, tire. A passion that burns like fire. Let me not sink to be a clod. Make me thy fuel, flame of God. May that be the heartbeat of all of us who are indwelt by the spirit of the living God. Make Jesus irresistible, amen? Do so. And to those of you who do not know him, why would you want to be alone? Come to know the one who has already proven his great love for you.